Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. And that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Dodgers have won it all in 2020. Time down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. They have reached the top of the mountain. They are the Stanley Cup champs. It is episode number 23 of your favorite podcast called For Future Considerations. I'm Manny Pavo along with fellow Tigers fan Matt Dumichel still flying high on the Akil Badu bandwagon. Here in Windsor, Ontario. Can't wait to get a Comerica. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. You know what? I, I saw an article today that they've already started building the statue uh, in, in left field right next to K-Line and Greenberg. So I was excited about that. Roll number 60. Right. K-Line. Greenberg. Badu, right next to it. He gets one before Miggy does, right? Tell me who's going to be getting the most pictures taken in front of it, right? <laughs> and the Blue Jays fan, John Rashad, is with us as well. John, how you doing? Good. They're off to a little bit better start than I expected. Of course, I never expect much. You know me. Yeah, yeah. John, uh, we're, we, we've got a, a guest on the show here who's going to learn that pretty quickly, that uh, you can give John Rashad a bar of gold and he's going to find something wrong with it or something to not get excited about it. So the, the Blue Jays uh, may end up winning 100 games this year and he's just, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. John, do you have a favorite Blue Jay right now? Ooh, no, I usually like to wait a little bit and see, uh, Steve. see what the guys are doing about a month in. <laughs> Dave, Steve. Steve, Jimmy Key's my favorite. George Bell, come on. Seriously. Everybody I get attached to on that team ends up leaving, so I've been hurt before. Oh, uh, So who was your favorite Blue yeah, Who's Jay? your all-time Blue Jay? Alomar, well, Carter? Uh, yeah, I'd have to say Carter, but uh, I have a, a Brett Lowry jersey that's uh, hanging in my closet that uh, doesn't Beautiful. get much wear these days. <laughs> a Brent Lowry jersey. <laughs> Don't you use that to wash the dishes or anything like that? Like, put, it, <laughs> put it to some use, Rashad. I think even he does that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Honey, I got right. my Oakland jersey here. It's uh, going, to the, uh, going out to the garage. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, uh, plenty of baseball coming up uh, to talk about on the show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our last episode. We talked a lot about baseball. If you haven't listened to it yet, highly recommend you go back as we had uh, some great sports debate where we talked baseball, football, hockey, Masters golf, March Madness. What was I missing? What else did we talk about? I don't know. I, I fell asleep for about <laughs> three or four minutes in that one. Yeah. Masters menus. The menus. The yes. golf menus. Yep, yeah. The menus. Jeopardy. Aaron oh. Rodgers on Jeopardy. Anyway, if you haven't listened to it, go back. Check it out. Um, I'm sure we've posted links on our social media that you can find that as well. Yeah, if you want to go on to social media, sorry, I was just taking a little sip there, Manny. Podcast FFC is where you can find us uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, for future considerations on Facebook. And you can email us as well for future considerations at gmail.com. John's been watching the email just trickle in, talking about how great we are, right? Everybody loves you, though, John Rashad. I see those emails coming in talking about you. Wow, that's nice. Forward some of those to my wife. <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, when we first, uh, in the last episode, you had made a comment about uh, us being the Rolling Stones and, and breaking up and coming back and all that. I think we might be the Beatles. So you you might be Paul. Yes. You might be leading the, the ship here. <laughs> like, seriously, we're going to put you on the bus and just have our names next to your face <laughs> when we go on the tour bus. I'm okay with that. I can take yeah. Todd Billy. I thought you would. I thought you would be. So I'm Pete Best, by the way. <laughs> if you need a reference. So are, are you, am I Lennon? Is that what you're saying? You're going to shoot me I, in the park? I don't know. It's terrible. Shouldn't be making jokes about that. Now, but today, this episode, it's called the OT. It's our second one of the week. And we traditionally try to play a game or get a guest on the show. And... Uh, we want to be able to get more guests on the show, and we're thrilled that this guy is joining us. He is uh, the OHL prospect guru, as mm-hmm. I like to 
call him, offers draft profiles of on OHL prospects, a contributor to McKean Hockey. You can also follow his work on Twitter by following OHL Prospects. His website is ohlprospects.blogspot.com. Please welcome to For Future Considerations, Brock Otten. Brock, thanks for joining us. How have you been? Been good. How are you guys been? Great. Are you a baseball fan too? I am. I was uh, I was enjoying your guys' conversation there. I think I donated my Brett Lowry jersey, if I'm being honest. Okay, I think I had one go. of those like jersey shirts, and I think it went to Value Village. <laughs> so, so somebody got it. For, somebody for might use it. Yeah. Rashad, you may have gotten that one for four ninety nine. Yeah, or or somebody bought it and you know did some painting with it or or something. I'm sure. <laughs> also, where did where did the Tigers get Badu from in the Rule Five draft? Who did they get him from in, in the Rule Minnesota? Five? Minnesota. Yeah. Wow. He was Minnesota. Right. Yeah. So we've uh, we're we're fully on board. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Keel Badu trade. He may not be on the team in July if he's hitting 160 by then. But God bless him this week. He may not be on the team, but he'll still be on the bus next to John Rashad's face <laughs> with our names as we go. On tour, oh man! Are you excited that baseball's back too, Brock? Or? Oh yeah, big time! I, I played yeah. since I was a little kid. Since I can remember, that was sort of my first love. Uh, I played travel baseball growing up, so uh, you know, even more so, it was my first love before hockey. So, definitely a huge baseball fan, Jays fan in general. Well, what, do you, what do you think of their uh, their chances this year? Because as we mentioned in the opener there, um, John Rashad, the Blue Jays go 162-0, and and he's betting against them in the, the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> They're due so, for a loss. <laughs> so what, what, do you, what do you think of their chances? I like their chances. I, I think the divisions, you know, let's say at least it's always going to be super competitive. But I think the Yankees are, are overrated this year. I don't think their pitching is going to hold up. Um, I think that uh, <laughs> yeah, start the chant. Uh, injuries are going to happen to their their hitters, like they always do. Stanton, Judge, you can't count on them to to be healthy all year. And I, I think it's a wide open race. And I really do think that the Jays have the best lineup in the division. And then from there, you know, it's just going to be a matter of who stays the healthiest this year. Because you know, there's going to be a ton of pitching injuries ramping up from you know a third of a season to a full one. So. Well, we'll see how that makes uh, you know, a big difference. I, I feel like it's going to, though. Yeah, I think it comes down to which rotation will be better, the Yankees' rotation or the Jays' rotation, right? Really, and who stays the healthiest, right? I mean, yeah, if, yeah. if mm-hmm. the Jays lose Ryu, I mean, that's that's a nail in the coffin almost, right? Yeah, or yeah. the Yankees lose Garrett Cole, again, there's another nail in the coffin. So it really, uh, I don't know, it's a long season. We'll see how it plays out, but. I'm pretty much tired of watching Tanner Roark already. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're about uh, two thirds of the way through the second in- or the third inning here, and I think I'm done. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've got to get you on the sports debate part of the show too, Brock. Uh, some great intakes there. Now, how have you been? Because your day job, quote unquote, day job is is a teacher. How how have you been doing with this? unprecedented pandemic you know what like everybody's had to to make adjustments to the way that they work right so we're no different i mean yeah it's been a it's been a crazy crazy year uh you know going back and forth between in school and and out of school and the virtual and uh my school's had quite a few cases we were shut down for for a week because we had some cases and you know that was uh, Scary might not be the the right word, but it was definitely a little bit eye opening. Um, you know, seeing it hit so close to home, you know, you think you're kind of. Obviously, there's cases in every school board. There's cases in every region. Uh, you're not going to escape it right now, right? But it, you know, the fact that we had to get shut down because we had so many, it was kind of like a whoa, okay, like this is kind of a little bit scary, right? So you try to do your best and. Ultimately, you know, as a, as a phys ed teacher, I, I like seeing my students in school because I feel like I can help them best when they're in school as opposed to online. Um, you know, my job being to introduce them to as many different sports as I, as I can and, and helping them you know, individually with their skills in particular sports. And that's very difficult to do in the online format. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to answer your question in a very roundabout way, it's it's been a tough year. But like I said, I mean, everybody's had to adjust and, and make adjustments uh, no matter what your profession is 
And how difficult has it been for the the students that that you interact with? Obviously, as phys ed, it's a, it's a unique situation where you know you're they're not sitting at a desk learning in a classroom as opposed to sitting at a desk learning at their kitchen table. Uh, very different scenarios for for you to teach and and for them to learn. Ah, man, a lot of kids are struggling right now. Um, it, it's it's been a tough last year for them. Um, you know, especially the ones in sort of that like eight to 14 age bracket, the younger ones, I mean, they're, they're easily adaptable. Right. And they haven't been in school as long, so they don't really remember quite like what it was before. Right. Whereas, you know, these 13, 14 year olds, they remember playing on school sports teams. They remember going on field trips. They remember all these things. Right. And not just that, but so many kids, at least at, at my school that I teach at, um, we're a very athletic community and a lot of kids do participate in, you know, not just rep sports, but sports in general and, and losing that on top of, you know, the chaos that it's been at school, it's been very difficult for them because it's sort of like that mental health outlet for a lot of kids. Right. And to have that taken away as well as so many other things, uh, a lot of kids are, are struggling. You know, we see it every day, kids that normally, uh, I don't want to use the word are, are okay. I think that's the wrong word to use, but kids who are normally very well adjusted and uh, you know handle adversity extremely well, little things are, are setting them over the the edge. And um, you know, I, I, honestly, my job has been more counselor at times this year, uh, as opposed to just as a teacher. And uh, but I, I mean, again, how many adults are struggling right now too, right? So kids aren't immune to that. Uh, that's for sure. So how did you get into uh, scouting OHL players and contributing to uh, McKean's hockey? So when I was in late high school, um, well, I guess I should preface it by saying like, I, I've always had an interest in, in junior hockey, uh, dating back to, to being a young, a young kid. Uh, I always watched the World Juniors. Um, my uncle had Hamilton Bulldogs AHL season tickets when I was younger, so I would always go to the AHL games and always had sort of this interest in, in hockey prospects, if you will, right? Um, when I was going through high school, late in high school, I was trying to make the decision, you know, do I want to be a teacher or do I want to be a journalist or, or a scout or whatever, what uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, for that reason, I got a job at Hockey's Future, who was, who was a big sort of company for, for covering hockey prospects at that time, um, you know, we're talking about 15, maybe like 17 years ago now. What am I, 35? Yeah, so like 17, 18 years ago now. <laughs> and uh, I had to count for a second. Uh, so I, I covered the OHL for them, and it kind of became a, a real passion for me. And even though I went into education, uh, the Ice Dogs ended up moving from Mississauga to Niagara when I was in university. And it kind of like reinvigorated my love for covering the OHL. And obviously I had still made some connections from working at Hockey's Future and getting to know some of the media guys that, that were around the league um, at the time. And it kind of worked it into a blog at the start, which was very well received. And I guess I didn't realize how many people had, had followed my work previously. And that uh, expanded to, you know, working at McKean's and, and other great opportunities. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been great to sort of balance both the, the teaching component and, and the scouting writing component. How has your eye uh, changed when you've been watching players, would you say, from uh, starting 17 years ago until now? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, watching it as a, as a 17, 18-year-old, even in my early 20s, right, I feel like when you're watching the game, you're sort of – attracted to bright and shiny things for lack of better term, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? So yeah. the, the most skilled players on the ice are the ones that are going to draw your eye um, as opposed to, you know, looking at components that would translate to the next level, right? So uh, I remember looking at a guy like Rob Shrimp. There's a perfect example. He sort of was coming up just as I was sort of starting in, in scouting and I was thinking he was pretty shiny he was very shiny right uh, one yeah, of the most yeah. skilled individual players I, I I have ever seen come through the OHL even to this date but at the end of the day you've got to say okay like Rob Shrimp he's not a great skater and Rob Shrimp he, he's not that big and Rob Shrimp he doesn't really play both ends of the ice 
you know, so you, you start to put those pieces together. Now you start to look at, or at least me now, starting to look at things like that projectability to the NHL level. You know, is this a player whose skill set is going to translate? Or is this a guy that scores the majority of his points from the perimeter? Is this a guy who, you know, is going to have trouble improving his stride and his explosiveness? Is this somebody who's more of a one-dimensional player? So, yeah, I think when you first start out, you really start to look at some of those guys who are just putting up those high point totals, right? Uh, stat watching really isn't the right term, I don't think, for it, but you're definitely attracted to those players who only uh, excel in one area, right? And now you start to branch out a little bit and you start to look for certain things that that potential in certain players. There might be a guy that's only got nine or 10 points, but you're saying like, this is a kid that that's going to break out in a big way when they get more ice time. And uh, I, I think you just learn from some of the mistakes that you made previously too. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that, and I may be jumping ahead in the, in the conversation here, but one of the articles that you've got on, on your website, um, which uh, if you're looking for it, ohlprospects.blogspot.com. Uh, you talked uh, about uh, the, in the article in January, you talked about things that you had gotten wrong or, or players that you had been too high on or too low on. And, and this is something that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to uh, go back and forth with you for a couple hours. <laughs> hours on probably but um when you were evaluating that and when you were going through and reflecting on that i guess the two-part question that i can ask is how long do you uh, need to make a determination whether you were right or wrong on a player and when you were doing that evaluation of yourself did you find any trends or anything that you noticed that you either value a lot more or don't value enough in some of the players that you had missed on yeah uh, it's a great question so the first part of that question I would say that I think you need at least five years after a player has been drafted to really make a determination as to whether you're wrong or right about a player. I mean, I'll look at the least right now, Jack Campbell. There's a perfect example of, of a goaltender who has taken a, a very long road to the NHL and he's playing fantastic right now. Uh, Carter Verhage is another fantastic example a great, from, from the great. OHL previously, you know, who really worked his way up the system and is now playing fantastic for Florida. So I think you definitely need at least five years to to make a, a concrete determination. Now, there's the odd extreme case where a player gets drafted and they don't end up getting signed and they go to CIS and then, you know, next thing they know, they're retired and they're, you know, doing something else, right? Uh, but that's an extreme case. I, I think most players, uh, you know, that are worth talking about in this regard you need to give them at least five years you need to give them a couple more years of junior you need to give them two or three in the ahl and then by the time they're waiver eligible i think that's when you can start to say like okay maybe i was wrong maybe i was right uh, about a certain player um, to answer the second part uh i think the one thing that i noticed is that i have a propensity for those sort of throwback power forwards and I think I tend to like put the blinders on sometimes in terms of their skating, thinking like, oh, like this guy, this guy, you know, he's going to make a difference. Yeah, his skating's going to improve, you know, because he does so many other great things well, but eh, he can't really skate that well. But he can score and he can hit and, you know, he, he plays both ends of the ice really well. He's, he's smart. But then at the end of the day, you know, their skating tends to, to hold them back a little bit. And I think that's sort of been the case. Uh, the one um, – name that sort of stuck out there Jonah Gadjevich was was one guy that I was very high on and you being from Owen Sound John I mean you, you must remember Jonah well and he's actually playing a lot better this year in the AHL with uh with Utica well they, they haven't played very much because of COVID but uh he had a pretty good start to the year so maybe he's starting to turn things around a little bit I, I haven't seen much of, of Utica's games this year I think I watched one and he looked good, but not enough to make a determination as to whether his skating has improved or not. Yeah, and Brock, you had mentioned uh, Zach Nastasiak uh, in that article as well, who was a, an attack player and uh, somebody who the three of us, uh, John, Manny, and, and myself, uh, were big fans on of, of and, and loved the way he played when he was an attack player. And, and it just, uh, you know, he didn't come to that next, uh, that next step. Yeah, ultimately, a, a guy like Nastasiak, I, I think when you look at him, even when we watched him in the OHL, you could tell he wasn't going to be a first or second line player at the next level, right? He was going to be a third or fourth liner. 
And ultimately, he just couldn't get his skating up to, to speed to play that role uh, at the next level, right? If you look at the way that the NHL and, and even the AHL is trending, right? The guys who are killing penalties, the guys in those third or fourth line roles now, they can all skate. That sort of time has passed for, I don't even want to say the enforcer. Obviously, that time has passed too. But just that bigger body who you use in the third or fourth line to recover dump-ins or, or play the net front. Um, if they can't skate, they're not playing those roles, right? So a guy like Nastasia, he, he was never the worst skater in the world, but he was never the best. And then, you know, he had some injury problems and, and whatnot at, at the pro level. And I think that really held his game back. And then, you know, uh, I think he's, I think he's in the AHL this year. Is, is he not? Is he, is he not finally? Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. But he's no longer in the Detroit system, I, I believe. So, no. uh, yeah, I, I really think that's the one thing that I tend to be attracted to. And you got to realize that not every guy is going to be Tom Wilson, right? And the thing that sets Tom Wilson apart, you know, for all his shenanigans is that he's a fantastic skater. Uh, and that's something that we knew even watching him in the OHL, right? And I think that's something that I really need to look at a little bit more closely when I'm evaluating these power forward types. You know, growing up, I had posters of Brennan Shanahan in my room, right? So I think that, that sort of exemplifies or explains, uh, you know, why I have that uh, attraction to those types of players. Yeah, Owen Sound has a history of that. Like you mentioned, Gadjevich, Nastasiak, we've mentioned uh, Mike Angelitis. If you want to go back to the to the '90s, you know, those big bruisers who could put the puck in the net, mm-hmm. but had other characteristics. Wayne Simmons is, is another one, right? Like, there's another perfect Wayne example, Simmons, right? Yeah. Like Owen Sound yeah. had. A particular profile in a in a forward that when they drafted, right? They set out with with a real uh, idea in mind of what they were looking for at the draft every year. And if you didn't play hard, you didn't play for that team. And and that's what made them so good, right? That was what made them such a strong team every year for a while. And he, you know, you looked at preseason prognostications every year. It was like Owen Sound seventh, eighth, ninth in the conference, and then okay, they're winning the division or they're fourth or they're fifth, right? They're always exceeding expectations because of the types of players they drafted and and how difficult they were to match up against every night. But I would put for Hagee in that the only difference is his skating has really improved. Right, and that's why it's so important to to not give up on guys too early, right? You got a kid like Verhage who, I mean, we don't know exactly what what was going on. I certainly don't. Uh, it could have been a case of, you know, not taking his training seriously enough to a certain point. You know, you add that leg strength, you, you work with a skating coach to, you know, change up your stride a little bit to change up your mechanics. And suddenly, you know, you're a different player when you add that extra gear. And a guy like Verhage definitely has improved his skating 100%. Um, and then you look at other guys over the years, uh, a perfect example is a, is a now retired player in Corey Locke, who playing through numerous years in the AHL was just never able to improve his skating to the point where he could be an NHL player as smart and talented as he was, right? It just, it was never a fit. Had you, had you done that blog, something like that before? And um, how much would you recommend scouts do that? Like look back and go... Have I hid or missed it? Because I would suggest, or it seems to me, that that has helped you over the years. 100%. Uh, I was really happy that I did that. And it was kind of like a fill-in piece because there wasn't much to talk about (laughs) right now, obviously. And uh, the one thing that I really like reading every year is Corey Pronman's article that he does annually, where he looks at the players that he got wrong um, within a calendar year, right? And he kind of reflects on that. And as an educator, one of the big things that we try to do is reflect, you know, on our practice all the time, right? Is, you know, is something that I'm doing outdated? Can I do something better? Can I do something different? And I, it makes sense for me to apply it to, to this line of work as well. And uh, I'm kind of disappointed that it took me this long and uh, OHL hiatus to actually do that because I do think I learned a little bit about the types of characteristics that, that I miss and the types of characteristics that I overrate or underrate. and um, I think that it's going to be good knowledge for me moving forward. And I think I would recommend that anybody who you know, evaluates prospects do that sort of thing. If you have access to 
your older rankings, I think it would be interesting to, to look back and not just looking back at, at the rankings, but trying to remember mm -hmm. why you ranked a, a player in, in a certain area. You know, did you underestimate their ability to improve their skating or did you underestimate their skill level? Um, it, it's very difficult. Scouting the OHL and, and junior hockey is very challenging because for every team like in Owen Sound, for example, that gives their younger players an opportunity to, to play a power play and the first two lines and really relies on younger players every year. You have a team like London who might have great players, but they've got such great depth that you might have to go and see five or six games to get a good read on a player because they're seeing very little ice time in the third period. They might not see any special teams play. Uh, Antonio Stranges is, is a perfect example from last year's draft class. There was a couple times that I saw London play where I don't think he played in the third period. He made a mistake in the second, and I don't think he left the bench in the third period. And, I mean, that's a that's a tough uh, way to have to evaluate a, a player. And that's why you see some of these London players kind of slip a little bit. Like Christian Dvorak is a perfect example. I know he was injured in his draft year, but he was playing third and fourth line minutes in that draft year with London. And I think a lot of people missed him because they weren't able to see what he was able to fully showcase in terms of his skill level and talent level. During this uh, OHL hiatus, have you been watching a lot of video or, and have you been watching anybody in particular? Yeah, I've been trying to watch a lot, obviously with my role with, with McKean's, uh, I'm trying to watch as much as I can. I think it's about setting up a sort of a routine on the weekends. I, I kind of dedicate some time in the morning, you know, I'll have a coffee and watch a couple of games every, every weekend. And I think that's sort of been good to, excuse me, to set that routine. I did a couple sort of large pieces for, for McKean so far this year. I did one that looked at all the OHL uh, prospects that had gone to Europe to play, watched a lot of their videos and, and tried to come up with uh, an evaluation uh, of how they were performing. And then just recently I did one for all the OHLers in the AHL and there, there was a lot of them. So that was a very large piece. There is like 28 of them and it's still growing, I feel like, by the day because we're inching closer to uh, a permanent hiatus for the OHL. So um, it seems to be one or two a day that I see are signing in the AHL, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so big pieces like that and then just trying to fill in, in, the, in the puzzle pieces for other regions. Um, again, because, you know, I'm relied upon to, to help with certain draft rankings for McKean's and, and evaluations in some other regions. So, you know, uh, watching some USHL action or, or WHL or QMJHL, uh, I haven't watched a ton of, of Europe stuff other than those OHL players, but it's mostly North American. Um, but, uh, definitely excited for the under 18s. I think not just from, from a scouting perspective, but just purely from a, a fan perspective as well. I'm really hopeful that it goes off without a hitch because yeah. mm -hmm. uh, we've been kind of missing that. I, I know that you know we had the World Junior Under-20s this year, and, and that's great. But normally for people in my role, we have a lot of these types of evaluative tournaments over the course of the year, right? We, we have the Under-17s. We have the World Junior A Challenge. We have the CHL Top Prospects game. Um you know, the Halinka at the beginning of the year and all of that has been gone for, for so long. And it's great to actually have that back from a fan perspective and not just from a, an evaluation perspective. We'll use the name Brand Clark as an example here from the Barry Colts, uh, a guy at the beginning of the year who was pegged to be a, a top five pick in, in the NHL. Uh, and we'll use him kind of the as the central character of the, the question. How much do you think as an evaluator and as a scout, not having an OHL season is going to hurt these kids as far as their draft status is concerned and as far as being able to stand out. How difficult is it to project them without this year? And is, is Brand Clark uh, still a top five pick uh, when uh, when draft time comes? So a kid like Brand Clark, it's not going to hurt at all. Um, scouts are very familiar with, with Brand Clark's game. Um, they saw him a lot playing with that Don Mills team uh, as a U16 in the OHL Cup and, and through that, uh, you know, uh, we don't use the term anymore, but through that midget season where that team was was incredible with Shane Wright. Uh, and then, you know, his rookie season with Barry, we're very familiar with, with Brant Clark's game. So a kid like that, it's really not hurting. We know he's an extremely talented defender. 
NHL scouts know that he's a player that deserves to be in consideration for you know the the top five or or even further higher up uh, you know as one of the top defensemen available. It's going to hurt kids like Orion Winterton who just got named to the under eighteen team. I think that's a perfect example, right? We don't know what type of role Ryan Winterton's going to play. He he could be the 13th or 14th forward and play very little. Um, but he was going to have likely a pretty good breakout season for the Hamilton Bulldogs this year. Uh, I think he's a fantastic player, but he didn't get an opportunity to showcase, or hasn't yet anyway, got an opportunity to showcase you know any improvements that he might have made to his game. Um, Winterton was a guy that I would classify as being you know, an average skater for, for lack of a better term, right? So it's an opportunity for him to show that he's made some improvements to his explosiveness and he's made some improvements to his overall agility and his ability to move on the ice. Yeah, and then you, you go further down the line and you look at some of these guys that, you know, only played third or fourth line minutes last year. Perfect example is Zade Wisdom, right? right. Does Zade Wisdom right. even get drafted if – he's pushed back a year, right? Like if we're talking about a Zade Wisdom type of player this year who saw very little time on the fourth line with Kingston in his rookie year, uh, he stood out. Uh, I, I thought he was fantastic, but probably not to the point where you're saying this is guy is, is an NHL draft pick. And then he has that fantastic season playing alongside Shane Wright. And, you know, next thing you know, he's playing extremely well in the NHL, right? So it's, it's kids like that that are really hurt by this OHL hiatus because – they're not getting the opportunity to show that uh, they've made improvements and show that they belong as an NHL draft pick. I'll give you another example because uh, I, I know that uh, we have uh, a connection here in the room with the, with the GOJHL, but Logan Mayu from, from London, he played like eight games for them last year, was fantastic in uh, Tier 2 last year. Played a little bit in Sweden and in the hockey at Tan, which is a third division. If he plays in the OHL this year, he's in London's top three. And he's probably playing in all situations. And he's the type of guy that's going to skyrocket up draft list because the NHL scouting community puts a lot of trust in the way that the London Knights develop players. That development program has the trust of NHL scouts because Dale Hunter produces NHL players. And this is... Uh, a great example of how this hiatus has hurt them, right? Yeah. Logan's I can a, tell you, Logan's I can tell you for a fact that the, as the GOJHL voice in the room, Logan Mayu can get out of the GOJHL as soon as possible, please. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly, right? So uh, those are the kids that are really, really hurt by this. Not the the Brant Clarks, not the Mason McTavishes, not the Brennan Offmans. These are the kids that that have been so overscouted over their course of, of their careers. It's it's the lower tier guys or the guys who didn't play a ton in their 16-year-old seasons in the OHL, right? Because they're not given that opportunity to, to showcase any improvements. Because how many how many players have we had over the years covering the OHL who, you know, don't produce very much in their 16-year-old seasons and then suddenly the light bulb goes off, you know, they hit that next level of maturation physically and they understand the type of work that they need to put in. And next thing you know, they're, you know, top 30 in OHL scoring and they're first or second round selections. Yeah. Um, you know, every draft year you can go through and you can find those types of players. Now, you know, we've got to rely. I mean, this is hypothetical if there is no OHL season, right? That we're talking hypothetical here. If there isn't one, we need to rely strictly on the performances that we've seen as 16-year-olds. Because I can tell you that, you know, obviously NHL scouts are going to do their due diligence and they're going to talk to people uh, if there is no OHL about, you know, how that player might have looked in their uh, U16 program, you know, wherever that may be. But, it, I mean, are we really evaluating NHL prospects based on their their U16 years? Uh, I think that's pretty dangerous. So, um, yeah, I feel like I've... I've talked a lot about just that component and haven't answered a lot about your Brant Clark question. But that, but that's important. Like I, listening to mm-hmm. you speak, a player that comes to mind is Wyatt Johnston here in Windsor, covering the Spitfires. One hundred percent. Twelve goals, thirty points in fifty-three games. I think he had something like that. But they were all five on five. Never got PP time. Never got PK time. I thought his skating was good. I was really looking forward to seeing him take the next level. And, and I, I thought think- his skating improved from start of the year to the finish. Yes. Big time. Yeah. You know, seeing yeah. him at the beginning of the year 
versus seeing him at the end of the year, there was a massive, massive difference in, in, in all facets of his game. And he was a player that likely would have taken a huge step forward with Windsor, probably pushed himself into that first round range. And now, you know, we're strictly evaluating him based on his performance at the U18s. And we don't know what type of role he's going to play. My guess is he's probably going to be pigeonholed to that sort of third or fourth line center role. It's probably going to be part of the top penalty killing unit, I would imagine. Because um, that's definitely a strength of his is his two way ability. So yeah, I, Manny, I think that's a, another fantastic example is Wyatt Johnson. You know, Matt and I being down here in Windsor now, uh, we wanted to see Owen Power at the University of Michigan, and we never really got a chance. Some people had him as the number one prospect. He's sliding down. He's sliding down uh, now in the draft. Um, he never even got to play at the World Juniors. So. Is he sliding down for you guys too? What are your thoughts on him? So uh, our American scout at, at McKean's, Ryan Wagman, he's also our, our director of scouting. He, he likes power. And I think most of us that work at McKean's, we also like power. I, I think the question is, do you like some of the other guys in that range more? Right? Like um, a Brant Clark. The, yeah, like like a Brant Clark, like like a Luke Hughes, uh, another American defender. Well, power's not, not American, but playing in the States, right? Um, there, there's a very defense-heavy draft at the top, right? So you've also got to mix in some of those forwards who are standing out, like Matthew Beniers and uh, had a great William Eklund and yeah. Dylan Gunther, who's just destroying the WHL right now. Um, you know, so Power is one of those guys who does risk falling a little bit because there is sort of that perceived notion that his upside isn't quite as high. And he's the classic example of why maybe overscouting can be a little bit dangerous because he's the kind of guy that makes everything look really easy on the ice, right? He's not, he's not a Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, you know, not even an Adam Fox. If we're talking some of the, the top young NHL defenses right now, he, he, that's not the type of, of player he is, right? You don't see Owen power have to make some remarkable defensive play because teams aren't even able to set up in the offensive zone when he's on the ice. Because pretty much any time a team is on the ice against him, he's forcing dump-ins because they're they're just not getting by him, right? And then he's getting to those dump-ins and getting the puck back out and the transition game is started, right? So he, he's sort of that unsexy pick, right? Because he's, he's not flashy. And I think that's where people sort of have this perceived notion that his upside isn't very high. You know, I think we saw it with... Uh, I'll give you another example uh, of a prospect who's now considered one of the top prospects outside the NHL, and that's Moritz Sider of, of the Red Wings, right? When the Red Wings took him at, uh, was it sixth, I believe, I, I think, yeah. he, you know, he was a guy that was ranked, some places had him a little bit higher than others, sort of in the teens, but some had him at the back of the first round, and it was like, whoa, 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 what's Detroit doing, right? And here's this guy, oh, he's a big kid, he can skate pretty well. You know, he's probably going to be a second-pairing defenseman, probably doesn't have too much upside. What's Detroit doing? Blah, 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 blah. Next thing you know, he's putting up one of the best under-20 seasons of a defenseman ever in the Swedish Elite League. And now people are reevaluating, saying, like, this is a kid that can be one of the top defensemen in the NHL now. And, again, he's sort of that unsexy player, right? He's he's not going end-to-end. He's not... Uh, for lack of a better term, breaking ankles in the offensive zone. He's not using his his skill level to to get around forwards at the top. Uh, you know, he's not what I would call an elegant player with the puck. And, and Owen Power sort of fills that same uh, stereotype, right? And you know, at the end of the day, you've got to look at the fact that you know Power is just so extremely efficient. And that sort of efficiency is what translates to the NHL level. Uh, you know, would you classify Victor Hedman as one of the top defensemen in the NHL? I, I know I would. And I think his award trophy case certainly speaks to that <laughs> as well. And he's not somebody who is going end to end. He's not somebody who is, uh, you know, making these miraculous plays at both ends of the ice. So, yeah, I think he's somebody who quietly stands out. And at the end of the game, you say, Okay, you know, Victor Hedman was great. Oh, wow. Okay, he's got a goal and two assists. How the hell did that happen? Right? And <laughs> Owen Power is that same kind of defenseman. And that's why he's sort of the antithesis of a guy like Brant Clark, who Brant Clark, you know, is an extremely skilled 
an aggressive offensive defender. He's somebody who will pinch uh, regularly in the offensive zone. He will play deep in the offensive zone. You'll see him behind the net taking control and really uh, asserting himself from an offensive standpoint. And he is not shy uh, about his offensive skill level and his offensive talent. And, you know, that's why he's going to stand out uh, maybe more than a guy like Owen Power at certain times. And Luke Hughes is another example, right? He's got the bloodlines with the Hughes brothers and, and he, he's a fantastic skater, just like Quinn and Jack is. And, you know, he's the type of player that is capable of those types of plays. And same with Simon Edmondson in Sweden. And you've got some of these defensemen that are, uh, you know, a term that I used earlier, right? That shiny, uh, look at me, they're drawing attention to themselves constantly with, with the things that they can do with the puck, right? And then you've got a guy like Owen Power who just quietly goes about his business. And I know I've seen other people. I think I read an interview maybe a couple months ago. I think it was around the World Juniors with Ryan Hardy, the GM of, of the Chicago Steel, who Owen Power used to play for. And he was sort of saying the same sort of things about Power because somebody asked him about Power and you know, possibly being overtaken as a top defenseman in, in the draft. And, you know, he was sort of saying the same sort of things. When Owen Power is on the ice, he takes full control of the play. And, uh, I mean, isn't that what you want from your defenseman? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it is such an unusual year this year, but uh, who is your top-ranked prospect? So for McKean's, our top-ranked prospect is Matthew Beniers. I think the thinking behind that ranking is – we believe that Beniers has not only as high of upside as some of the other players that are available, but also has, you know, not as many uh, red flags is the right word. He doesn't have the downside that some other guys do. Um, you know, we feel like he's a pretty safe bet to be a top six NHL forward who can play in any situation. And there's not a lot of holes in his game. And I think we saw that at the World Juniors. Is He's the type of player that... You know, he's going to be the kind of guy you want in the NHL playoffs, too. He's he's going to be that kind of kid because of his intensity level and his skill level and all the different things that he does well. And I think that's why he's our number one right now. But it's very close. Uh, I think the under-18s are definitely going to be something that our scouting staff really looks at at McKean's as to you know whether we shuffle things. Um, I don't think uh, Beneers is sort of set in stone there. Uh, there's definitely a large group of, of players that are vying for that first overall. It's it's a wild year. I mean, you look at, like I said, you look at what Dylan Gunther is doing in the WHL right now, just absolutely torching it. Um, you know, maybe not as much as Connor Bedard, who is another, uh, another story, but, you know, he's having a fantastic start, and now he's going to go to the under-18s. And, and if he leads the under-18s in scoring, I mean, we're going to be talking about him for first overall. I saw Corey Pronman just moved Gunther up to his – number one spot in his latest draft rankings. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a definitely a wild year, whether it's Beneers or Power or Clark or, uh, you know, uh, I've seen Luke Hughes at number one in a couple places. Uh, obviously, his injury is not going to help him. Um, the fact that he's not going to play in the under-18s definitely sucks. But um, it's uh, – even Jesper Wallstadt, I think I've seen him at number one in a couple <laughs> places. And are we going to have another goalie go first overall? Uh, I, I – who knows 2021 right like what a year when you're uh when you're with mckeens and, and kind of uh paint the picture for us uh, if you will uh, guys obviously that have different regions that have responsibilities for different territories uh what is it like when you guys are putting those rankings together i assume you all have your guys and uh you fight for your guys just like anybody else in in the room and then i'm sure you guys have some very colorful conversations as you go along and maybe you make friends and maybe you lose friends <laughs> at the board yes. table but walk Walk us, uh, walk us through what that's like to put together a, a ranking like that. Yeah, it's, it's a challenging process because, like you said, everybody has their favorites from their region and everybody's going to believe that their favorite deserves to be higher than somebody else's favorite, right? Especially when you get to the sort of back half of the first round. That's when it starts to get real ugly in terms of people voicing their opinion. <laughs> I think when you get that, like, top 10, top 15, it's pretty concrete. People say, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. And then it's like a holy crap, like, why isn't my guy in the first round? Like, this doesn't make sense. I'm angry, right? And then it's, uh, it is, it's tough. The, the good thing at McKean's is we have uh, sort of a, a value-based ranking system as well, uh, where players get uh, what's called an OFP. It's sort of how McKean's has always sort of done their their thing. 
And that gives sort of a, a quality, uh, quantitative, qualitative, geez, you can tell I'm a phys ed teacher. Qual- quantitative. <laughs> quantitative. Quantitative. Thanks, Manny. Uh, quantitative component to it, right? And then you can kind of work from that. The problem with that is every guy in every region does those grades a little bit different. So then you end up with some guys' regions, all his are really low, and some guys' regions, all his is, are really high. And then it's trying to, to mix and match it and find that middle ground. And, um, you know, it is. It's very challenging, and it's something that we do two or three times a year. And it's something that we're actually in the process of doing right now. We're, we're going to stretch it out to a, a top 64 for the end of this month and, and go from there before the under-18s happen. And uh, so I had to submit, so everybody in every region submits their sort of list, their candidates that they feel deserve to sort of be in the top 64. You kind of give your OFP because it's like a calculation based thing. You put it in like a calculator and it does it for you. And then, um, which is great for somebody like me. And then you kind of put like a a rough estimate of where you just think a player deserves to be. Like, uh, I think this is somebody that should be in between like 25 and 40. This is somebody I think should be between, you know, 30 and 50. You kind of put those sort of brackets into it and then you can kind of work uh, things around and, and, and going to go from there. And we have a guy named Will Scooch uh, at McKean's as well, who does fantastic work. And he's a video scout. So he kind of watches every region. So he's a great eye for those types of things too, because, you know, when we get a list, we can kind of show Will that list and say, you know, is there somebody that, you know, we're underrating or overrating based on how the region sort of worked out because you watch everybody. Right. And I think it's, that's why you're seeing some of these places, be it McKean's, be it elite prospects, be it hockey prospect, be it, you know, uh, Dauber, whoever is evaluating prospects, you're seeing a focus on having one or two guys who do strictly video um, because they also have a very interesting perspective in, in watching all of the leagues and sort of having that uh, umbrella style focus. Whereas, you know, somebody like me in a normal year uh, where I'm watching mostly just the OHL and then filling in the pieces here and there, I'm not going to have a, a really strong opinion about uh, a guy that's playing in Sweden, I kind of just relying on what our regional scout is saying, and then you know maybe watching a little bit of video to to supplement that, um, or or like the under 18s Yeah, it seems video scouting is here to stay, right? Like, do you prefer video watching or live watching? I think it depends what I'm looking for. I find it very difficult to ascertain a player's skating ability through video. That's one thing that I tend to have a difficult time because it's, sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to see, you know, okay, a perfect example, right? You got to rewind the video a few times to see who that defenseman they just blew by was, right? Is that a defenseman who doesn't skate that well? Or is that, you know, one of the top mobile blue liners in, in the league, right? If we're talking OHL. Um, so that's just one thing I, I can pick up a lot quicker when I'm watching a game in person, I find, as opposed to, you know, having to rewind it like four or five times to watch some greeny number, like on the back of a kid's jersey where it's half tucked in. Um, it, it's, I find it tougher to, to figure out things like that. And also, obviously, when you're watching video, you know, you're following the puck, so you're not seeing some of the tendencies that you would see off the puck per se, right? Um, you know, it, a guy is late coming into the screen. Okay, why was he late coming into the screen? Was he not hustling on his back check? Or, you know, was he tied up? Was was there a line change that I missed? Like, what what's going on here? So it's sometimes it can be tough with those types of things. But for other things, I do think it's perfectly fine. I, I think it's great to be able to, to sort of rewind and go through certain things and, and really pick out certain things, especially if you're looking at their play in their own end too, right? And noticing certain tendencies, uh, you know, by pausing or, or rewinding. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's uh, in a perfect world. The mix of both is, is great. And I think, like you said, video scouting is definitely here to stay 100%. Um, I think it definitely has, uh, a lot, a lot of benefits. And by the same time, you know, being in a rink and, and seeing a kid's body language and being able to talk to other scouts that you're in the rink with and, uh, you know, getting a better idea of, their play at full speed and not just following what the camera is showing, I think is also important. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're able to get back into the rink soon. I, if the OHL does start up, I'm not even sure if they're going to let some people in. Cause I know in the queue, they're not really, um, and the WHL it's, it's very restricted. 
Uh, I think more than likely you would see something like where I, a person like me would probably be restricted to like a couple different rinks. I would have to probably pick like, hey, I'm going to go only to Guelph and Mississauga or something like that. Maybe pick one from each conference and go from there. I don't know what it would look like. Just from talking to our QMJHL scouts and our WHL and some of our European scouts, it's definitely very difficult for people in our situations because as it should be, the priority in terms of this limited space that they're trying to restrict, right? It's given to NHL scouts and as it should be, right? So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that would uh, shake out if the OHL does start up. Brock Otten is our guest uh, here from OHL Prospects and uh, McKean's Hockey. Great scouting question for you. Uh, where do you like to sit in the <laughs> arena when you're watching a game? What angle do you like seeing when you're actually there? I like being uh, middle, center ice, but just a little bit to the left or the right, depending on who I'm specifically focusing on. Uh, I like being at center ice. I know some people like being more sort of behind net area. Um, everybody's got their preference, but for me, center ice, I usually kind of, if I'm not in, in the press box, which I usually don't like going to the press box, I'd rather just be somewhere at ice level. Um, and usually sort of towards the back where you're not really interfering with people. I mean, obviously if, uh, depending on the rink that you're in, that might not be an option. Uh, if you're in Mississauga, you could pretty much sit like with your legs over all the seats and Wherever you could have you like, want. you could have like six beers at each seat around you and not have uh, anybody being bothered. Uh, whereas if you're like in Kitchener, for example, uh, you're standing at the back in standing room, uh, or you're in the press box because you know, you're not getting a seat unless you, you beg somebody to give one up or you, f you wait to, to see somebody leave early and you go and you jump at it. Right. Like, uh, it's uh it's it's tough it depends on on the arena for sure uh, but i do like to generally be around center ice i feel like it gives me the the best perspective of what's going on uh sitting across too from the benches never on the uh so on the penalty box side with a view of the bench not the other way around it's funny you mention that because any scout that I've ever talked to, they like you said, some of them sit behind the net, some of them like sit high, some of them sit low. I've never had one that did not specifically say, but I'm definitely facing the bench. <laughs> yes, you, you, learn, you, you learn a lot from on. that yeah. too, right? You 100% you do. Yeah, 100%. You, like I said, you're watching certain things. You're watching some of the body language that, that occurs with some players and the frustration that occurs and some of the interactions that are occurring with the, with the coaching staff and um, I think it definitely gives you an interesting perspective uh, compared to, you know, sitting at the opposite end. I'm stealing John's question here, but which rink has the best snacks? <laughs> best snacks. That's a good question. Rashad, what's your favorite rink? Ooh, I actually don't eat a lot of food at the OHL in the OHL rinks. You're trying well, to tell me you don't eat babies. the fries? You dress up as the mascot yeah. half the time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty standard. I mean, the good thing, that the, there's not a lot that's great about Mississauga, but I will tell you, sometimes <laughs> Mississauga rolls out the shawarma, and sometimes, uh, you know, that's definitely a little bit different than some of the other places. And, you know, when Owen Sound, it's usually, what's the, the Italian food place that they get there? Oh, for, is it from uh, Joe Tomatoes? Tomato, Joe Tomatoes, thank you. Joe yes. Yeah. So sometimes you get the Italian food, uh, you know, the chicken parmigiana and stuff from uh, Joe Tomatoes and Owen Sound. Uh, yeah, other places it's, you know, your standard hot dogs and, and pizza and french fries and, and whatnot. I usually, I tend not to eat too much at the rinks, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, if uh, if I'm going to a game and I know somebody else who's, who's going to the game with me, sometimes, you know, it's a send a text or or a DM and say, hey, you want to meet up at, at this place uh, before? Like Guelph is a perfect example. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been to, to Guelph's rink uh, a lot, but they have a place called Baker Street Station, which is right near the yes. rink. Yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah. food, fantastic yeah. beer selection. So, you know, that's somewhere that I'll try to go to before the, the game and uh, stop in quick and have a bite instead of, you know, eating uh, a stale hot dog or something. <laughs> I think the problem is if Manny and I went there, we wouldn't uh, either wouldn't leave or we'd be coming and we'd be seeing 16 players on the ice. And stuff. <laughs> it, you know what? That place is dangerous. So I, I will say that. You got to be careful. Yeah. 
<laughs> One thing I'll say listening to for anyone listening uh, who's new in the media, if you're ever in Owen Sound and you want some stuff from Joe Tomatoes, make sure you get there early because all the media vultures take all the meat out of the pasta and all you're left with is noodles when you get close to game time. <laughs> the vultures. <laughs> we finally hit a chord. Rashad just snapped everybody. That That's it. Is that, are we talking, are you throwing uh, Mark McKelvey and John Morris out of the bus there? Oh, yes. <laughs> McKelvey's got somebody feeding him the meat from the pasta, yeah, though. That's the only yeah. difference. <laughs> are we going to have an OHL season this year? What's your gut telling you? My gut tells me I think we still will. I don't think it's going to look pretty. I don't know if it'll have playoffs. But I really do think that there's a lot riding on them getting something in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so, too. If they don't get something in, you're going to see a lot of these high-end draft class kids, and you're already seeing some of them, that are saying, hey, we're committing to the USHL, we're committing to college, we're going to go to the States, because are you going to commit your future to the OHL if they don't play this year? And then what happens next year? And then what? And then you got another year of lost development, you're going to see kids that that don't risk that. It's Especially the high-end kids. Uh, I mean, you're gonna, you're always gonna have your Ontario kids who who grew up in London watching the Knights, who grew up in Kitchener watching the Rangers, who want to play for their hometown team or want to play in the OHL. You're always gonna have those kids. But some of those higher-end kids, uh, I feel like we're gonna lose them if we don't get an OHL season in. Uh, you know, a perfect example is a guy like Adam Fantilli. If there's any hope that we're able to lure him from Chicago in the future, I think they've got to get a season and they've got to have a plan for next year. Otherwise, he's going to stay in Chicago and he's going to do fantastic in that program and he's going to be a high-end pick anyway. And if the OHL wants to to not lose this race with the USHL, which I feel like every year we're losing it more and more. I mean, I feel like 10 years ago, we were always able to recruit some of the higher-end American kids from the National Development Team program. And I feel like the last two or three years, it feels like we're losing out on almost all of them, the, the development team program. It's become more competitive. So even if a season doesn't have playoffs, even if a season is 15 to 20 games, for the players in the OHL now, do you think it's still worth it? 100%. And I think you're seeing that with how vocal they're being on social media. The players are definitely vocalizing their frustration over the fact that some beer leaguer can play his game, well, not right now, but some beer leaguer could play his game in Kingston, but the Kingston Frontenacs couldn't play. Right? Like, like Andrew, Andrew Parrott said that too. We had Andrew yeah. on the show and he talked about that. Yeah. And it's, it's, I get it. That is so incredibly frustrating. You're seeing some minor midget action. You're seeing a few teams in the OJHL that played a few games, right? I think it was Wellington managed to get some games in, right? You're seeing a few teams in different leagues managing to get games in. I know the CCHL, I think they got a bit of a, a start in before they got shut down. Yet the OHL, which is the highest level of, on, of hockey in Ontario isn't able to to make that work and uh, I get the frustration from these players because it's not just I, I feel like the general public just doesn't really understand it and I think that's sort of the problem right right now with certain things the general public sees it as like a, oh like you know if these kids are gonna make the NHL you know, they're going to make the NHL anyway one year. It doesn't matter. Let's just be safe, blah, 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 Which is, yes, 100%. We have to be safe. If we're going to do this, it has to be done in the right way, like some of the other leagues have done. And, and you know, they haven't been without cases. Like, the QMJHL is in a bit of a mess right now with their Quebec League teams and having some COVID cases. And there there's a rumor out that they were going to shut down the season, but the QMJHL uh, squashed that today because – there were some teams that gave up some serious pieces in that uh, QMJHL trade deadline, uh, completely gutted themselves. So obviously they're going to push to finish that year. Um, you know, but a kid like Andrew Parrott, right, who, you know, maybe it's not the NHL. Maybe it's it's making sure that he plays his years in the league so he gets his his scholarship to, to go to University of Guelph, to be a veterinarian, to go to Toronto, to go to law school, to whatever, right? There's so much more. And, and not just that, but how many of these kids go on to professional hockey that isn't the NHL? We're talking long AHL careers. We're talking long careers in Europe, in Switzerland, in Germany, in Great Britain, in, in all these places, and these life experience, which are, which are set up by the fact that they're able to play in the OHL, right? So, you know, we have to treat it like a semi-professional league. Yes, it's it's not uh, by definition, but 
in a way, you know, it, there's so much more riding on the future of these kids than, than people realize. And they've dedicated so much of their life to playing hockey and to getting to this level. And it has to be so incredibly frustrating. And we're not talking about, you know, guys like you and I who, you know, I, I play competitive squash and I haven't been able to play competitive squash. I haven't had a game in like uh, since November, I think was my last game. And it's killing me. But, you know, I'm not going to the Olympics for squash. <laughs> right, <laughs> this right. is something that I do as, as a passion of mine, right? So, yes, it sucks, but such is life. But these kids, this is something that we're, we're, we're really, if we're not getting a season in this year, to some degree, we're really messing with their future. And if we don't get a season in this year, they really need to make sure that they push the age limit next year to make sure those OAs uh, can come back and, and play. There needs to be some sort of transition period for that because these kids deserve the proper send-off and the proper opportunity to, to earn other uh, opportunities in in hockey uh, that otherwise might not have been granted to them. Um, and I, I think it's really important, not just for the NHL draft, but for other things in life that these kids do get some kind of season, be it 20 games, 25 games, even if there's no playoffs, you know, you can crown a, a league champion just based on record. You want to make it competitive that way, make sure it's that way, best winning percentage, whatever. Um, no playoffs, do whatever you need to do. Or maybe you just take the winners of each division and you create a little bubble and you have a playoff that way and it's some sort of modified playoffs. I mean, who knows how the AHL is going to do their playoffs this year. Originally it was said they weren't going to do it. And then the fact that it's been kind of a successful year for them, now you're seeing them get together in a board of governors meeting and discussing how the Caller Cup's going to work, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I really like to remain optimistic here that there's going to be something because at the end of the day, if there wasn't going to be, they would have already said it. What's the point in dragging this out? Then at least the players have some closure. The players can seek other opportunities in other areas. And, you know, I think that would be good for all parties involved. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be really pissed off. The fact that this is dragged out so long and then they say, oh, there won't be a season. I, I think that is sort of our one beacon of hope. The fact that they haven't outright canceled it yet. I think that's sort of what tells me that there is talks going on and I know there's talks going on and I know the, the sticking points. The big one is, is the, the hub city component and sort of that protective environment. I think that's, that's the big one. I know the owners are, are pushing back on that because, you know, it's a tough situation for them. Um, uh, but ultimately the players are, are willing to make some sacrifices to, to get the season, whether that means, you know, paying for certain things out of their own pocket or, or, you know, making sacrifices in terms of where they have to live to, to play. Um, the players seem more than willing and now it's in the hands of the ownership and, and the Ontario government. Brock, uh, I think we're all in agreement that we want to see the OHL again, especially for the players. Like this is their, livelihood their education livelihood that we're talking about and uh we'll leave it there i know we could go on for several more hours but brock i appreciate you taking time out to joining us for joining us on for future considerations it was my pleasure thanks for having me uh we hope you'll come back uh, yeah maybe, yeah, maybe closer to the draft yeah yeah that sounds great Perfect. Brock Otten, uh, known as the OHL Prospect Guru. You can follow him on Twitter, at OHL Prospects. He's also a writer for McKean Hockey. You can check out his work there. He's got his own website, ohlprospects.blogspot.com. Number two to David Branch. Isn't he in the uh, the hierarchy? Yes, I think so. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, what, that's what I read. <laughs> I was going to call him the Ryan Seacrest of the OHL. He's everywhere. <laughs> there you go. He is everywhere. And if we do get in a season in, we'll have to get him to rank best arena food in the OHL as well. <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta really do think about that one. The one thing I – I mean, I'm a sucker for shawarma, and the fact that they got shawarma at Mississauga is, is great. And I don't have to pay for parking in Mississauga either. Right. That's also, <laughs> that, that, that to me is higher up on the hierarchy of arenas is whether I have to pay for parking or not. Kitchener, I got to park on basically somebody's lawn and I got to leave the game five minutes early to make sure that I'm not stuck in honking traffic for a half an hour. That's at the bottom end. 
Mississauga, <laughs> sitting by myself, not having to pay for parking, that's definitely near the top. <laughs> and then you got somewhere in the middle of Hamilton, and they got to pay like five bucks, ten bucks, you know, close walk. Kitchener, got to figure that out. They got like it's a that's just an absolute disaster. I hate parking in that arena. <laughs> I'm sure you can tell by my passion for it. Yes, yes, you have some passion. That's why when we go to Kitchener, we go way early and find a spot in the lot. You have to, you have to go way early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then you got to yeah, leave gotta... ten minutes early. Yes, or you're the last one out. Like you're or that, early yeah. or yeah, the that last too. one out, or you're hanging yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great. Some great insight into scouting. Some great insight into the OHL as well from Brock Otten. That was a great conversation. It was, for sure. And again, thanks uh, so much uh, for Brock to joining us. Uh, if you want to uh, learn more about uh, Brock and, and his work, uh, McKean's Hockey, ohlprospects.blogspot.com. If you want to learn more about our show for future considerations, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, at PodcastFFC, on Facebook for future considerations, email for future considerations at gmail.com. John, any big plans this weekend? Uh, hoping the Vancouver Canucks are going to get healthy. That's my big plan. Oh, boy. Well, well maybe next week. <laughs> yeah, next week or the week after. <laughs> Stay tuned for the next edition of For Future Considerations. Bye for now. Badoo! That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their MO for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.